Hey, Consume listeners, Jamie Lewis here. I've been wanting to try new formats for the podcast, and this sixth season, I changed things up a bit. Every guest this season is a person of color in the wine and food industry, and roughly half of the interviews are conducted by Justin Tribu, a young black winemaker with a talent for honesty and conversation. This is a temporary format. I'll be back to hosting all the episodes myself next season, but it feels like a really important change this time around. As much as I could, I wanted to facilitate real discussion, and Justin's input and guidance helped a lot with that. I would have had her do all 10 episodes, but she was in the throes of harvest. So for what she was able to contribute, I'm very grateful. You may want to hear my interview with Justin first and listen on from there. Oh, and yeah, we're on Zoom again for these episodes. In any case, thank you so much for listening and happy sixth season of Consumed. Consumed is sponsored by my friends at Slow Life Magazine, for whom I write the food column. For the 2020 October-November issue, I'm writing about ribs in Slow County, and I included the Rib Line in Grover Beach, G Brothers in San Luis Obispo, and Miss Odette's Creole Kitchen in Paso Robles. It's been a sticky week around here, let me tell you, but I'm putting the finishing touches on the article now. If you live in San Luis Obispo or Avila Beach, check your mailbox for Slow Life Magazine every other month. And if you don't already get it, subscribe at slowlifemagazine.com. Consumed is also supported by James Onaveros at Ranchos de Onaveros Wine in the Santa Maria Valley. If you haven't already listened to my episode with James in season one, I'll tell you, he's a ninth generation agriculturalist with roots that go back to when California was governed by Spain. His ancestors had this massive land grant and it was sold off in pieces until there was nothing left. But he and his parents worked hard to buy back a parcel that overlooks the land that used to be their family's, and James planted his Pinot Noir vineyard there with his own two hands at the tender age of 23. I think one of the craziest things about James is that his last name, Onaveros, means the one true vine. The coolest part of his story, though, is that the wine is absolutely beautiful, with a very Burgundian style and influence. Taste that storyline for yourself by visiting the station in Los Alamos, where Ranchos de Onaveros wines are sold, along with elevated Santa Maria-style cuisine from Chef Conrad Gonzalez. For more information, visit ranchosdeonaveros.com or thestationlosalamos.com. There's this wonderful woman I met several years back who needed help editing a book she was writing. As we got to know each other, she told me that she'd been homeless at one time in her life, eating one peanut butter sandwich and one banana each day, and hitting up deli counters in L.A. for free food samples. Today, she has her master's degree in psychology and counseling and has lived on three continents. She goes by the name Mara the Helper, because that's just what she is, a helper. Mara has helped refugees in Italy, people who needed wheelchairs in Atlanta, and through her foundation, she sent a woman through cosmetology school in Nairobi so that she could work. In fact, Mara recently moved to Japan, and we spoke at a time differential of 15 hours, she at 5.30 a.m. tomorrow and me at 1.30 p.m. today. I asked Mara to join me on Consumed because she has a lot to say about food that interests me, particularly when it comes to food insecurity, food and body image at a young age, and diabetes, which she was diagnosed with in 2018. I think you'll be interested too. Listen to Mara talk about growing up with a mother who baked, about sugarless gelato, living off freebies, and about helping her way out of homelessness. 
Here's my talk with Mara the Helper. So Mara the Helper, I'm so glad you can join me on Consumed. And I, I know you just moved to Japan 19 days ago. How's it been setting up over there? Um, it's been pretty amazing. I had to quarantine for the first 14 days, the mandatory quarantine. So once you come into the airport and go through all your procedural stuff, you're actually tested at the airport and you are sent your results. So technically, I have only been outside for about, uh, this will be day five outside. So I was literally in the house the first 14 days. So I came out on the 15th. So yeah, this is my fifth day outside. So yeah. Last five, <laughs> four days, because uh, it's the early morning of the fifth day, have been um, incredible. I've gone out to the mall. I've started looking at um, houses, you know, places where I want to live, um, learned some driving information because they do drive on the left side of the road here. Um, and I've already helped some people. So it's been pretty cool. That is cool. Um, I loved Japan. I loved, I saw you posted something about the fruit, the really expensive fruit that they sell. Um, and it's true. Yeah. It's so pricey. And it can be in those uh, train stations is where I remember seeing it. But but again, that fruit is the higher end. Yeah. They have regular price fruit, um, but it's more like a prized possession. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's something that you give as a special gift. So it's just like a purse. You can buy a purse for $5, but there's also brand name purses you can buy for 5000 yeah. The average person is, you know, buying the average price. Yeah. <laughs> Great. But I like the idea of spending a lot of money on a really perfect cantaloupe, for instance, you know, special treat yeah. and you treat yourself to this like impeccable melon. I think it's very cool. Well, so um, I want to ask because you do so much. Uh, if you met somebody new at a party and they asked you what you do, what would you tell them in a nutshell? Um, basically, it's hard to describe uh, because I do, like you said, so much. And so literally my tagline is I'm here the helper and I can help do anything. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people say, well, that's impossible. Um, but it very much is that um, I work as a village mentality. And so someone in my village can be able to assist you. It doesn't necessarily mean that I help you directly, but I can help you indirectly. Um, and the thing that I like to focus on is changing the mindset of others, that we are collectively here together to be able to make the world go better and that everyone um, plays a part as a helper. You know, a lot of people say, well, you're such a great helper. And I said, well, no, everyone's a great helper. Um, and so the biggest thing is changing the mindset of people as individuals. Um, to better this world that we live in. And sometimes that helping can be in mentorship. Sometimes I'm a brand ambassador. Sometimes I'm help modeling. Um, I have so many different facets. And so I really just tell people, you know, come in, let's have a little chat and see how I can possibly help you. How do people find you generally? Uh, so I'm on social media. I'm on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, but it is like, the prale, um, 
Pharrell commercial. I don't know if you heard it, the Pharrell uh, shampoo commercial. Yeah. Um, you know, I tell two friends and they tell two friends. A lot of my referrals are truly word of mouth. Like someone says, you know, I got this great help and trust me, this person can help you. So, because I've, um, my brand has been going on nine years, actually, this month. Mm-hmm. So, I've kind of been out in these streets for a while now. And I know. Oh, and I'm also on YouTube. On, I'm sorry, you're on what? YouTube as well. Okay. I know that yeah. you have uh, helped a lot of people with um, just kind of making big life decisions. And I know that you've also helped with... Um, I mean, even what was it like a, a couple months ago, somebody needed a wheelchair that you knew. Um, and so you helped them get a hold of that. And and one of my favorite things you did to help actually was um, cleaning up after all of the protests where when you were in Atlanta. And I thought that those were such thoughtful ways to help because you can help in lots of ways, but those felt like really thoughtful ways. Can you tell me other ways that you've helped other specific things? So I actually, I have on my Sin Love campaign um, shirt that I created. So at the beginning of COVID, when it first happened, I had an idea that uh, nursing homes were going to be impacted because people weren't going to be able to visit the elderly. And so I created this campaign of, you know, just write a letter to someone in the nursing home so you can show that it, it cared. And it kind of just spiraled into this, um whole nother facet where I was able to give out thousands of toilet paper, um, food. I was able to, you know, get disinfectant products and send it to people. Uh, even the wheelchair incident, someone who I had met at Walmart, um, he was a veteran and he needed food that day. And so, you know, I have a foundation and so I went and bought him lunch. And so he actually gave my number out to the person that was homeless on the uh, MARTA bus. And so when that person was in the knee, gave me a call. So again, I get people from around the world. Um, and I used to live in LA. And so we used to clean up on Skid Row all the time. And so it's not so much like it has to be a protest. It has to be something going on. Again, we're I'm trying to teach that we're all a village. And so your neighborhood is my neighborhood. Um, and so in any way I can help, it doesn't have to be, oh, she gave away a million dollars and I'm a, you know, I'm not a million millionaire. Um, but I tell every people all the time, put water in your car and a few snacks in the back seat. And when you pull up to a light and someone needs help, you have something readily available to be able to help them. And, mm-hmm. and, and that's how I literally got started mm-hmm. from that just simple, you know, act. Mm-hmm. Um, where did you grow up? So I am originally from Albany, Georgia. I was born at Phoebe Putney Hospital. And then we left there. Um, that's where my mother is originally, I meant my father's originally from. And then we moved to Savannah for a short period of time. And then I grew up in the metro Atlanta area. I went to elementary school at Canby Lane and I went to high school um, at Three Dan High School. So, uh, DeKalb County truly to me is where I grew up at and where my basis is. Yeah. And what were you like as a kid? 
Uh, my mother uh, always said I was, uh, and father said I was always into something. Um, <laughs> even my, my aunt uh, told me that when I was a little kid, I used to go in her drawer and I would take one bite of an apple and throw it away. And that was, you know, just put it back in the refrigerator. So I was always in the mix of something. Um, always wanted um, to help people. Even someone told me that I actually, I didn't have the best grades. So to me, this is very interesting that someone had posted that when I was in elementary school, I helped them with their homework. And I was like, really? Um, and so I've always had this helping spirit. I My first helping campaign was in elementary school was March of Dimes. And I won a bicycle for raising the most money. So I was always seeking love um, and attention from others by having that interaction because uh, I didn't really have it at home. Um, coming from a brother and a father that was um, not so nice to me growing up mm -hmm. and a mother whose solution to those problems was eat more, you know, eat more food and let's go shopping and let's get our hair done. So, but I was always trying to bring uh, joy and happiness, I feel like, to other people. Mm -hmm. Are you the firstborn or the secondborn? So I'm the secondborn. I'm the baby. The, the family, baby. Um, as we call it. So I'm the youngest. Which is where your amazing sense of humor comes from, I feel like. That's... <laughs> That's not always the case for us firstborns. We take things too seriously. Um, what did your parents do for a living? So my mother was a teacher and my father, who recently passed away in June, he was a um, manager originally for Southern Bell and it turned to Bell South. So he was the first um, African-American um, in his department in management. And then my father retired, actually, when I was 21 years old. He took what was called an early um, buyout. And then he got into political, more uh, consulting and management consulting. So a lot of ways, um, I'm, I do consulting just like my father did, but just in different arenas. Mm -hmm. Um. I saw a picture that you posted of yourself with John Lewis, who just recently passed away. Was that through your dad that you had? I mean, I know you said you weren't close to John Lewis, but is that how you got that photo with him? Right. So I was actually at uh, NAMI, National Alliance on Mental Illness. I was at a 5K uh, run, walk run, and he was there. And so uh, this was in must have been around 2012, 13 or so when that photo was taken. And so he was just taking photos of people and I stopped him and told him who my dad was. Mm -hmm. And he recalled him from being a foot soldier. And so he definitely he said, well, make sure you tell your dad that you saw me today and take a picture and, you know, let him know that you met me today. So definitely it was a treat um, that was pre-math lifestyle. That is, um, in that photo. Yeah, that's so cool. Um, when you were growing up, how did you feel about food? Like, were you a picky eater or were you a big eater? Or what was food like for you and your family? Uh, so I grew up very um, thin as a child. 
Um, and so my, like I said, my aunt said that I used to take a bite of an apple and, um, throw it in, you know, back in the refrigerator, I guess it didn't have the flavor I wanted. Uh, but as far as food in general, my mother wasn't a cooker. My mom was a baker. So we ate out a lot or we ate boxed food. Um, I can recall the only vegetable I ate as a child, um, and now I know it's not a vegetable, uh, was a green pea (laughs) and uh, Boston lettuce and cucumbers. Mm. Yeah, those are probably the three vegetables that I ate. And so baking was very important to my mom. Um, It still is. So um, sweets were always her thing. My dad, on the other hand, because uh, my parents separated when I was in third grade, um, was always trying to teach me about um, eating a certain way. And so I grew up going in DeKalb County. There's a place called the DeKalb. It's your DeKalb Farmer's Market. And so my dad was always trying to teach me about fresh vegetables and, you know, eating things from the earth. And my mom was all about, you know, let's eat cake mm-hmm. and ice cream. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think you wanted to be when you grew up? Were you thinking that you wanted to get into activism or politics like your dad? Or did you want to be a consultant? So, again, my relationship with my father, I didn't really know um, what he did until I was older. So that wasn't a thing. Uh, My father was also in the Air Force and he was a contractor for the Air Force. He did flight uh, simulation. So that wasn't that's what I knew of what he did as a child. I didn't know he was in management until later in life. Um, Didn't want to be a teacher like my mother, um, even though I taught. I really growing up didn't have a clue of what I wanted to be as an adult. Because uh, I always uh, heard from, you know, my father about my grades. I did, once I, you know, left high school, thought about being an OBGYN mm. um, or an accountant. But again, my father told me that my grades would not hold either one of those professions. Mm. And so I ended up not doing that. Now, I always grew up doing hair. And so eventually I thought, okay, that's what I was going to do. And I eventually got my cosmetology license when I was 19. Oh, okay. And you went to work so, doing that? Yes. So I guess I went to work doing that. So mm-hmm. I actually went to, so I was at college at Georgia State and got a call from a friend and said, hey, I'm over at uh, Debbie's Beauty School. Well, I know you're always doing people's hair in the neighborhood here. So why don't you, you know, come over and you can get a, a license in nine months. And I actually went to the school, graduated, got my license and left her still in school. And she hadn't even finished, but she just called me. And I actually got trained <laughs> to be a cosmetology teacher, instructor. I took all the instruction but did not sit for the test because people saying that I was doing too much and that I was only 19 years old. They were threatened. Yeah. I, 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 well, I don't even know if it's threatened. I think society um, leads you 
to believe that certain things are done at certain ages Mm -hmm. in life. And so people get caught up thinking that's when it's supposed to occur, rather being open to, you know, natural talent, natural abilities. Um, Because if I was a pianoist, Mm -hmm. um, and I was doing stuff in the that would be called, uh, what's the word when you're very like a prodigy early in life? Exactly. Exactly. It's your property. So it all depends on what culture and dynamics that you're doing it in mm-hmm. that things are set. But yeah, I was a, doing that at, at the piano at nine. I'd be in awe. Yeah. Did you, when you left home, how, what was that like for you? How was that? I, I left home a couple of times. But I initially left home at 19 years old. I had my cosmetology license. I went to visit a friend at Savannah State uh, College at the time. And I went to this thing called Orange Crush. And I thought it was the most amazing thing ever. <laughs> I was like, oh, my gosh. I had um, didn't know I was going to actually move at that time. I actually had an incident with my brother at home. My brother is bipolar and I had an incident with him uh, where he struck me down as soon as I walked in the house with that same friend who had told me about going to cosmetology and I remember calling my father and complaining because my mom called the police and I was told to leave and my father's response was can't but so many grown folks live under one roof and so as a result I actually packed up my car and left and went to Savannah and moved in um, with a childhood friend and her husband. They lived in um, housing for married people and I was sleeping on their couch and I thought it was the best thing ever to have my freedom, to not have to worry about, um, because my mother is also um, bipolar, even though she's on the depressive end. Um, And both of them, you know, are stable now. But back then, you know, things were just very chaotic. And so when I moved out at 19, I thought it was the most, the most amazing thing ever Mm -hmm. to have freedom to define my own, you know, path in life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You have twins. They just turned 27. Um, What was it like to parent twins? And how old were you when you had them? So I was at college, uh, Savannah State College, and I had come home from college uh, December of 1992. And I'd come to see a guy I was dating um, or my sexual partner, my friend, whatever we would call back then. Mm -hmm. And I actually got pregnant on Christmas night of 1992. So I often describe that there are the gifts that keep on giving. Um, (laughs) I went back to college, didn't know I was pregnant and thought, oh, my cycle is coming on early because my breasts were tender and, you know, went to the doctor and, you know, they, I thought my cycle was late. And so she was like, no, you're pregnant. And I was like, who's pregnant? (laughs) So then I ended up having uh, cramps. So I found I was pregnant at three weeks and then I started having cramps probably around five or six weeks and went to have a procedure done um, vaginally that they do an ultrasound 
to determine, you know, what's really going on up there. And at that moment, I found that I was having twins. Holy cow. And that my sacs were separating. And a college friend, their godmother was in the room. And I just remember them passing the ultrasound for me to look at it. And she snatches them from me like, and I was like, who's pregnant? Um, and what had happened was my sacs were separating hmm. and my twins were actually dying in my room, in my womb. Really? And the doctor said, if I didn't, you know, stop physical activity, that I could either lose one or both of them. So I remember calling my mom and my first thought was, but I don't want two babies at one time. I don't want two babies at one time hmm. because I wanted to hold one child at one time and you know, let that child have their time. Um, but raising them to me was the most amazing experience ever. I never, ever, ever, ever wanted twins. Uh, and now I don't know how people do single births. Mm. Like I don't, you know, I, I called one of my friends, uh, mom, and she's always, you know, I have to watch her watch television. I got to watch her play. I got to, you know, like mm-hmm. she didn't have a friend. And my twins always had a companion. They always had, and, and they got along. So, cause some twins don't get along. Right. Uh, but mine did, mine were each other's best friends. And I cultivated that in my womb. I spoke to my children. You know, I told them that they were going to be different. They weren't going to be like their mom. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it was, it was pretty dope. I, 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 hands down, one of those amazing experiences of my life. When you say you didn't want them to be like their mom, what, what part of you did you not want them to be like? So I grew up being bullied every day of elementary school and high school. Um, so I would get it at school and then I would come home um, to a father who would come home over on the weekends when my mom would go to the mental health facility on the weekend. Uh, and so I got what we would now deem child abuse whippings from my father beating me. And so just emotionally, I was a wreck. I had had uh, sex, sex by the time I was 14. I had three suicide attempts at 17. I was engaged to a drug dealer uh, boyfriend or well, fiance by the time I was 19. Uh, and so I did not want them to live the way that I live. Like I was terrified of the school bus. And I recall when it was time for them to ask me, could they ride the school bus? Because that's where a lot of my bullying went on at both Canby Lane and Redan that, you know, no, you don't know what goes on on school buses. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were like, mom, we think we can handle it. So again, I wanted them not to live in a world and my brother and I was compared to my brother my whole life so I just did not want them to live the life I lived I wanted for them to have something different than I had mm-hmm. hey there a quick interlude to talk about another one of my supporters Slow Food Co-op's mission is to empower health and well-being in the community by providing quality products and exceptional customer service Community-owned, Slow Food Co-op buys from local producers, ensuring that they offer their customers real and sustainable food. Slow Food Co-op is your friendly neighborhood grocer, maintaining non-GMO standards and environmentally sustainable packaging. 
You can find Slow's only community-owned grocery store on their website at slowfood.coop and visit the Slow Food Co-op in-store at 2494 Victoria Avenue in San Luis Obispo, California. So are you open to talking about homelessness? Yes. Okay, so where did that fall in the in the story of your life? So I grew up in a middle-class family, and I created a middle-class family for my children. And I actually got married, not to their dad, uh, to another individual. And after we were having troubles at the end of our marriage, I'd actually prayed and told God, whatever, whatever you want to do with my life, like literally. And so it ended up, you know, we decided we were going through a divorce. And so it was time to talk to the divorce attorney about, you know, what you're going to get, not get. And so I'd actually told my ex-husband that he could have everything. And so I voluntarily walked away homeless. Um, I gave him everything. The only thing I told him I wanted was my last name back. Um, And so, yeah, I voluntarily, um, because God told me that, you know, God was said, clearly I heard, you know, I'm going to do something so amazing in your life and to trust me. And that if I had taken anything financially away from that marriage, um, because at the end of my marriage, my ex-husband was the sole breadwinner of the home, that if I would have taken any proceeds from that, that my ex-husband would then be able to say that, you know, he helped me, um, especially the life I live now. Like, you know, you know, I helped get her started. Um, And God was very clear that, you know, I'm going to get all the credit for this Um, indefinitely. So, yeah, I was sleeping in my car and I actually helped my way out of homelessness. What does that mean? So every day I wake up to this day and I tell God, as soon as my eyes open, thank you and let me help somebody. And, you know, a lot of people think they need financial resources Mm -hmm. to be able to help someone. And God made it very clear that you have an abundance of skills and talent and don't let any of them go to waste. And so if that simply meant, you know, I knew somebody who was looking for a job that I would, you know, research, help them with their resume. Um, I had a family member who was going through a divorce and I sat down with them and printed off the forms, made it clear like I'm not a lawyer, but, you know, let's go through these forms together and see what, you know, let me get you the packet, let me get you the help. And so whether I was getting paid for the service or not, I would help. I would volunteer at, um, nonprofits and give of my time. Um, I would, uh, you know, someone said they needed a babysitter. Mm -hmm. Literally, there was nothing off the table Mm -hmm. that I was willing to help anything. How did, I mean, this is a food podcast, technically. Um, So how did, (laughs) I know, but this is the important thing about food is that everybody eats and um, so getting the story behind, I mean, part of the reason I chose you was I did want to hear about what was it like to have food insecurity where you don't know, um, you know, you have only this much money per day. And what do you eat? What was that like for you? So I literally lived off of samples. Literally, I would because I again, I'm a cosmetologist, so I know how to comb my hair. I 
the face of homelessness did not look the same on me. So I would get up that morning, I would uh, comb my hair, I would, um, that gym membership, I would go to the gym and shower, put my clothes on, and then I would go in the grocery stores. And I would simply lean over the counter and say, may I sample? May I sample? Mm -hmm. And the sample sizes people gave me were, you know, very extreme. And I would go into more premium food places. Um, that had, you know, the, the way I define food to eat. Um, and I would sample food and that's how I live until, you know, I got resources and money to be able to purchase food. Um, and a lot of my food was, you know, things that I would eat per meal because I didn't have any, you know, way to store, you know, food yeah, items. Right. And, but yeah, but I, I made it work literally, um, the deli counter. Uh, was my friend. You'd, you'd be surprised how much you can eat off of just sim- simply sampling food. That's so interesting. And I had, it had never occurred to me. Yeah. The idea of having leftovers. It's not like you can cook up a big, like cheap batch of rice and beans and stow it away to have later. You can't do that. Yeah. You, you can sometimes um, I, like a cooler and put things mm-hmm. uh, in it. Um, if you're eating cold items, but then, you know, um, if you need to heat up something, then you've got to drive and spend the gas mm-hmm. to be able to go to a gas station if the grocery store didn't have. So oftentimes I would just be in the parking lot of grocery stores. Mm-hmm. Um, and plus they were open. Uh, well, this one in L.A. was open almost 24 hours a day. And so if I, you know, need to go to the bathroom or you know, needed food, I could just, you know, go into the store. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So how did you get out of that? I, you say you helped your way out of it, but what actually happened to change your life from, you know, this really tough time to something different? So again, I eventually, because again, I, you know, I charge for my services. So mm-hmm. eventually I started are in clients that were financially able to pay me. And so um, I started, you know, I, I'd always, I, my mentor was very clear, you know, create a rate sheet, create a rate mm-hmm. sheet of how much you would charge. Um, and so I did that. And I also did a lot of, um, I would get paid for modeling. Um, I literally said there was anything on me that if I could use it for, you know, financial gain, <laughs> that was legally I would. Uh, and so I even did, uh, I did acting work. Uh, and so I was on sets and I got paid for that. Uh, so, again, my services were always a fee for service. But regardless if someone could pay or not, I wouldn't. And so my clientele continued to grow. I got um, speaking engagements. I wrote a journal um, that I ended up selling out of. And so my just I started charging uh, for what I do. And so that's how I helped my way out of homelessness. Tell me about that journal, the how you decided uh, to, to make it and build it and sell it. So I have a friend. Um, her name is Toya. She is incredible. She owned a, a plus size recycler um, in Atlanta, Georgia. And we had met one day 
And we really realized that we were um, what they call iron on sharpening iron, you know, Mm -hmm. great for one another. And so the biggest thing for entrepreneurs like myself, uh, because uh, Mira the Helper has probably been like my fourth entrepreneur thing that I've done in my life, um, that creating a product, something to sell itself. Um, And my mentor, you know, his always thing is that, Mary, you have to do something where you can make money while you're sleeping. Mm -hmm. And so I actually spoke to her. And again, I didn't know what the product was going to be um, until it was going to be. So I'm a writer and I write daily inspirational things on my social media. And I recall Revan Run putting out, um, he took all his Twitter feeds and actually printed them out and turned them into a book. That's smart. And the light bulb went off that here I had all these um, daily inspirations um, and I love to journal. I've been journaling ever since I was a child um, that here these could be prompts for someone else to write. And I literally downloaded all my prompts off of my Facebook page because Mm -hmm. you have the ability to download your information. And my 365 now, which is the name of my journal, was created from that. Um, And that's kind of how, you know, I met you, Jamie. Mm -hmm. Um, I found out that you were an editor and, you know, was able to procure you to help me with editing it. And it was, you know, you know, I I grew up hearing from teachers, you know, you're a horrible writer. You're a horrible writer. And my mom was an English teacher. Uh, But what I realized is that I can provide amazing content. Mm -hmm. I just may need help with editing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so my 65 now is that it may take you 365 years to 365 days to change your life. But what you do now in the daily is what you will see manifested over a period of time. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people are so focused on the end result um, that it never occurs because they're unwilling to do something on a daily basis now um, in order to get that. And so the journal was created to help focus people on a daily basis Mm -hmm so that they can achieve that final goal that they want to see done. Yeah. Yeah. And that is how we met. And I do, uh, that was such a special time working with you on that because it was that, you know, I got to read all of the, the daily thoughts and prompts and so much of what I was reading from you was jiving with what I was kind of already going through, um, stuff that I was kind it felt like it was, um, pushing forward some thoughts that I was already having. And it is a good tool for um, doing just what you're saying, building daily toward a change in your life. But I really like, um, you know, you emphasize a lot the word now and uh, that that is the most important part. As you know, from talking to me, it's so easy to get overwhelmed by a big list of things to do. And, um, you know, right now, COVID, school's about to start. It just feels so overwhelming. But all I really have to do is sit and talk to you right now for the podcast. That's all I really have to do right now. So anyway, yes, that was a cool process. Yeah. And, and in that 
process of now, I actually, during COVID, created uh, our my latest company with my twin daughters. And the company is called NOW. Yeah, and what does <laughs> and that it's stand called for? New Oppor- <laughs> now, it stands for New Opportunities Worldwide. Yeah. And so, yeah, it is definitely the, the spinoff of living in now. And so we were able to uh, sell disinfectant products. I started uh, selling masks um, and making deliveries, non-contactless deliveries of disinfectant products and masks. Um, even like I said, I toilet paper, I was giving it out to essential workers, giving it out to homeless, just giving it out to anyone that I would see. Like I would literally have, you know, so, you know, having the food in the car, the snacks and the water to now having all these supplies in my trunk. Um, and then I had people who could pay for it. And so I'd sell it and, you know, make a profit and then use that money to then be able to buy more to help other people as well. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. You lived in Italy for how many years? I lived in Italy for almost two years. Okay. Did you eat anything oh, yeah. good there I, uh, by chance? Um, so I'm a cooker, but uh, I learn that a lot of people Americanize food. Mm-hmm. And so this idea that you think you like Italian food or you like a certain cuisine. Um, but to me, I consumed the people. So uh, there was a, um, I'm not probably going to remember, there's a uh, pizza place that I used to eat at um, that the, it was the the interaction of the people. So, so the food was good, don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. um, but it was this interaction. There's even, um, because I was in a local area and I'm going to look it up, uh, um, Italian gelato place. Um, was in a, a, t- a town that I had visited. It's ba, I'm probably going to pronounce it wrong, but Bagato del Gelato Sicile. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had, um, because again, I, I talk about, um, I look at food as premium, mid-grade, and regular. Mm-hmm. And they used to sell gelato ice cream that didn't have uh, sugar in it. And so it definitely helped me a lot. And the flavors were amazing because what he would use is just um, fruit, just natural fruit Mm -hmm. and not add sugars and all the other things and use cream um, to richen it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, again, um, that place was one of my favorite places when I would visit that area. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah. And sugar, you had to kind of just watch because you're diabetic. Yes. So actually, when I first got to Italy, I consumed a little bit too much pasta and too much pizza. Mm -hmm. And as a result, I got diagnosed with diabetes in 2018 and had a weight um, shift. Mm -hmm. And so I don't really, my theory is I don't look as food as healthy and non-healthy or good or bad uh, because I was raised with that, you know, conviction um, of a father that, uh, 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 yet I had a mom who was a baker Mm. um, and she was thin and my brother was thin and I was the only overweight person and yet everyone was telling me how to eat. Mm -hmm. Um, Y'all are not overweight. And so my philosophy is that um, 
people who aren't financially in a place to be able to eat a certain type of way don't want to hear where you're not eating healthy. Yeah. Like uh, this dollar is going to be on this dollar menu and we're going to eat today. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, I, my philosophy about food is regular food is just regular. It's processed. It's um, whatever it is. And mid-grade, a little bit more thought is, you know, thought about the, the making of it. Um, it's less prepackaged, less mm-hmm. fast food. And then premium um, is anything that comes from the earth. Mm-hmm. So this morning, um, because my motto is greater mornings start green, uh, greater days start green. Because mm-hmm. every day is a great day, but a greater day starts green. And so premium food is things that have naturally occurred in the earth. So I've got some spinach, you know, it just grows like spinach. I've got some kale, um, a piece of an apple, some fresh ginger, Mm -hmm. some berries, blackberries and strawberries, because they're on the lower um, glycemic level um, to not raise my blood sugar Mm -hmm. um, higher. So, you know, you're drinking a green smoothie. It should actually look green. Um, if not, you're just eating a very high, um, regular <laughs> smoothie, which yeah. might as well be a milkshake. <laughs> well, and they do taste like them. Yeah. What was it like the first time you had, uh, you know, I, I, when you talk about premium food, I think a lot of people don't think of those things as premium necessarily, right? It's a, it's about a mind change, a shift in your thinking. Right. Was that a tough switch to make? Uh, no. So one of the biggest things I um, think you've heard me say earlier is that um, I definitely use God in my life and that God can be, you know, whatever you choose, the God of your understanding. I don't, you know, identify or let people know. But I asked God, God, can you help change my taste buds? Mm-hmm. And literally, that's what happened. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't have to do this deal on my own. I could invite God into my plate. And a lot of people think, you know, well, you know, God's got other bigger things to worry about. Um, But if I'm not eating premium (laughs) and I'm not doing well um, to be able to function every day, then that's kind of not a good helper either. So, yeah, I asked for my taste buds to be changed Mm -hmm. and they were. What's one of the biggest challenges you faced in your life? Um, and how did you overcome it or, or a challenge you're facing right now? Um, I think the biggest challenge, especially during uh, COVID and moving to a different country is um, managing, learning how not to manage people's expectations. Um, there's a, book I um, reference um, and one of the tenets out of it is acceptance is the key to all my problems today mm-hmm. that you know people are like oh you're quarantined for 14 days that must be horrible no I'm good I'm fine no we're we're, we're in COVID and it's horrible <laughs> no it's an amazing day of life so having the mindset just like you said it's all about mindset and yet having to what I call, um, do you remember Wonder Woman, how she used to have the bracelet? Yeah. Yeah. 
So I feel like I am constantly bouncing off people's negativity. Deflect. All day long. Deflect. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, deflect. Like, that's the way you see life. But these are my own eyes. And I can see life differently. Like, I'm not in fear of COVID at all. Um, But does that mean I don't walk out with protective equipment on? No. I wear my mask. I wear, I even have a face shield because again, I I sell these products Mm -hmm. and I stay at a distance, but I'm still living my life now. I'm not waiting. And a lot of people want to wait until COVID is over with. Mm -hmm. Um, But how do we know when it's going to be over with and how do we know if we're going to live past it? Mm -hmm. So, you know, just trying to let my way of thinking be my way of thinking and not necessarily allow other people's um, thinking. So it was, it's just like the thing about my dad, you know, here my dad told me, and I still have the letters that, you know, I wasn't college material. And yet I have an undergrad degree and I have a master's degree. My undergrad is in sociology and my master's is in counseling and psychology. So, you know, when I meet with my clients, I have the ability to say, oh, okay, this is a great, you know, client for mentorship. Or I can say, no, this person may need counseling. They may need a 12-step program. They may need some, um, you know, spiritual help. Um, but it allows me to, you know, be able to see, you know, them as a whole, you know, person. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, managing other people's um, lifestyle. <laughs> and what mine to be like theirs. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm okay with mine. What is um, one of your most well what's one of your favorite successes in your life being able to now live on my third continent when I thought that uh, at 17 years old having my third suicide attempt the doctors telling me that I should be dead Mm. and here I am uh, 32 years later, still alive and living on my third continent. And I was homeless nine years old. Homeless. And I was living in my my place I always wanted to live, which is L.A., so it didn't matter. I always thought I'd live in L.A. and never live any other place. And when I moved there, I was like, okay, it was good. (laughs) But now living on this whatever journey with God, um, I'm just at whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, how how have you wound up in Italy and Japan? Why why were you motivated to go to those places? So I I wasn't motivated. Like I said, I, I have a brand and I was secured. So a client um, hired me to do some work in Italy, and then I ended up opening some business over there, um, working with the homeless working with refugees um, and doing things over there. Um, And the same thing is how I ended up in Japan, that a client um, recruited me from my services. Um, And so now I'm helping over here. Um, I don't, again, I don't choose this life. This life literally gets chosen um, for me. Mm -hmm. So it's it's pretty cool to, you know, be able to help, you know, anywhere. Mm -hmm. Who would you call a role model for you? My mother's sisters, my aunt, um, definitely. My Aunt Mary, who's passed away now, uh, she taught me a lot about 
managing my money, my finances, how to take care of people. Um, and then my other mentor, um, and someone I definitely look up to is Oprah Winfrey. Mm-hmm. I came home every day as a child. And here I saw a woman of a certain statue on television. She's black. She had big hair. Um, and I, you know, grew up hearing that, you know, I had big hair. Um, and I watched her. Um, I studied her. on, um, And so she kind of gave me the insight of wanting to be on television and film that, you know, being able to lay out my story um, for others. Um, definitely. She, um, you know, and then I saw her whole, you know, um, helping different girls mm-hmm. in different um, over in Africa and opening up her school. Uh, so through my foundation uh, two, uh, two years ago, I was able to send a girl to college in Africa, um, in Nairobi, uh, Kenya. Oh uh, she went to hair school and she has her hair license today uh, because my foundation sent her to school. Oh, wow. um, and so a lot of, uh, I, I learn from so many people. I, I've learned from you. Like <laughs> I tell people all the time, I am pieces of the people that I am around and they all have come together and made who I am on a daily basis. But every person is a book and every day I um, take pages from their book and regurgitate it, you know, because I'm like, oh, that's pretty dope. That's pretty smart. I, I like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. If you found out that tomorrow was your last day, and I can ask you this question because I know you're like, okay, cool, I'm ready. You know, I some people are like, oh man, that's the most depressing <laughs> question. But I know that you're like, yes, and. Um, so if you were going to die yes. tomorrow, what would you have as your last meal? What I would have as my last meal would be uh, a green smoothie. Nice. Made from my, that I would make. Um, and then I would probably finish it off with a, it's in Atlanta, Georgia, off Ponce de Leon, a honey bubble um, almond milk tea with tapioca pearls rinsed very well with no honey, extra almond, light ice, and almond milk. Yeah, you've got your yes, order they, down. They, they, yeah, I've got my order down back. <laughs> and uh, um, shooters from Art and Garden. Wheatgrass, lemon, cranberry, and ginger. Yeah, my shooters. I definitely would have to take some shots, quote unquote. <laughs> yeah, taking shots. And you remain premium to the very end. I appreciate that. Yeah, with a little bit, with a, with a little bit of mid-grade. Because I did, you know, that's processed. Milk tea is processed. You know? Sure, sure process stuff in there right but yeah because i and that's the thing that you know someone looks i remember looking at va or you know different food items and just thought that's disgusting like even someone saw me with my green smoothie and they were just like that's disgusting and i said you're from america right yeah i said you like the color of money right it's green (laughs) oh yeah i love the color (laughs) But it but it ends up in a glass, and now all of a sudden it's horrible. It's the color of money. Okay, I am sharing that with my kids, one hundred percent. 
Yeah. <laughs> Mara, thank you so much for getting up at 5 a.m. to talk to me all the way in Japan. I love that you took time to do it. Thank you. Oh, you're quite welcome. Yes, it was 1.30 your time and 5.30 a.m. my time. But I get up early. I'm an early riser. So I've been up since 4 a.m. Because I get up, pray, meditate, get myself. I talk to somebody before I talk to anybody. Smart. Smart. Okay, yeah. thank you. Oh, you're quite welcome. Thank you for listening to Consumed. I'm grateful for all of your ears every single day. The podcast is produced by me, Jamie Lewis, and edited by Chris Lambert. I hope you'll support the businesses and people featured this season and come back for another season of Consumed this winter. Until then, take care.